0: John Wesley, the great evangelist, whose preaching has delivered tens of thousands of people from sin and degradation, just before God raised him and George Whitfield to literally impact the whole of England, alcoholism was rampant. Drunkenness was a common scene in the streets of England and London, particularly, and they used to say that every second home was a grog shop. Now, grog is a kind of a slang word for alcohol. And many a drunk person found salvation in Jesus through John Wesley and George Whitefield. So much so that they said, John Wesley single handedly, almost destroyed the alcohol industry in England. One day, some of Mr. Wesley's critics, and oh, if you read his biography, he had a lot of critics. They came to him and they said, Mr. Wesley, the other day, we saw one of your disciples in the gutter, drunk as a skunk. Well, far from defending himself uh, to his critics or try to be defensive at all, he said, I am not surprised if this man is my disciple. If he is my disciple, he is a wretched and poor soul. Wesley and every genuine faithful servant of God should refuse to make personal disciples. And that is why I'm entitling this series of messages of next several weeks we're going to be looking at, Whose Disciple? It's an unusual title, but that's it. Whose Disciple? Whose Disciple am I? Whose Disciple are you? Whose Disciples are we making? How? Whose Disciples are we supposed to be making? I think most of us know that Jesus' command to His Disciples to make more disciples It's very familiar to most of you, I know that. From time to time, we call this the Great Commission. (coughs) But their call was to make disciples. You notice he didn't ask them to make Christians, he said to make disciples. He didn't say, go and make some believers. He said, to make disciples. And so, we only endeavor, and the only true call of the church of Jesus Christ is to make disciples for Jesus. Not the apostles' disciples, not this church's disciples, not pastors' disciples, not church leaders' disciples, only disciples of Jesus. Sadly, many Christian cults, have produced disciples around the personality cult of the leader. And those are abounding these days. But we must always, always, always reject and shun anyone knowingly or unknowingly, sometimes it's unknowingly, trains personal disciples. Wesley was right. If we have personal disciples, they are the most wretched and poor people in the world. So, the question, whose disciple? Whose disciple? Whose disciple are you? God bless you. (laughs) Now, turn with me to the Word of God, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. And if you do not have access to a phone, electronic or otherwise page 1550 in the Pew Bible in front of you. As I said, for a long time, many Christians referred to this as the Great Commission, the Great Commission. Unfortunately, some past uh, uh, Christians have uh, used this term Great Commission flippantly. Uh, In fact, there's a true story that I heard back in the early 90s. In the early 90s, those of you not old enough to remember, we had a very terrible real estate uh, recession. Some people call it depression. Believe it or not, (laughs) that was used of God for us to buy this property here half price (laughs) during that recession. But in those early 90s, there were a group of Christian believers, men who are in the real estate business. And they were having breakfast at a restaurant, and they kept talking, they were not talking business, but they were talking Bible. They were studying this, guy, and they kept talking about the Great Commission, the Great Commission, the Great Commission. And uh, they were discussing Jesus' commission. But right next to them, there was a real estate man who happened to be a not, not a Christian man. And he kept eavesdropping. These men talking about the Great Commission, the Great Commission, the Great Commission. So, He came over to them. Absolutely true story. He said, gentlemen, please forgive me for eavesdropping. Where do you get that Great Commission? He said, I haven't seen Great or Small Commission in the last six months. Don't ever forget that before Jesus commanded the disciples with what we call the Great Commission to make disciples, He declared His sovereignty sovereignty over all. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth, not just in heaven because this is very important, not just in heaven, but on earth as well, all authority. How many of that authority? All authority has been given to me. I talked about this uh, just a couple of weeks ago in a different context. Himirat, please. The reason why this is absolutely vitally important is because without the authority of Jesus, without the power of Jesus, we cannot make disciples for Jesus. Without a total submission to the authority of Jesus. We cannot truly make disciples for Jesus. And that is why when He said, therefore, go and make disciples, it is only possible by leaning on His authority. It's only by leaning on His power. We cannot do it on our own. Now, the word disciple in Greek, mathaeo, from which you get mathematics, actually, Carries a marvelous combination of meanings. It's not one meaning, it has a lot of meanings, and and they're all combined together. It means placing your whole trust in the the Master, Jesus. It means uh, wholeheartedly following Jesus. But here it comes this is really the most important part. It means a life of continuously imitating Jesus. Imitating Jesus and obeying Jesus. There's so many people who say, I'm a follower of Jesus. But they never reflect or imitate Jesus' love, Jesus' mercy, Jesus' grace, and Jesus' forgiveness. And that is why Jesus, in in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 31, He said, If you abide in My Word, and only if you abide in in My Word, then and only then, you can be called my disciples." Now let me step onto something really controversial, okay? It's, not, it's unlike me, because I'm always kind of, don't, don't do that, you know, I'm always safe and always, you know, choose the kind of the safe road, and I don't get into controversy very much, but I want to tell you something very important. There are some people who teach that you come to Jesus and you receive him as your Savior. That's called hell insurance policy. Then sometime, somewhere down the road, you receive him as Lord. And then sometime, somewhere down the road, you become a disciple. Now, beloved, listen to me. That is not biblical. That is not biblical. When a a person genuinely confesses Christ to be his or her only Savior and Lord, immediately that person receives the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that opened their eyes anyway. They immediately become disciple. Now, to be sure, they may not have all the biblical knowledge. They don't have all the biblical training. They don't have all, all, all they're not even aware of some biblical uh, issues. But they must become disciples. Nonetheless, it's the start of the journey. Listen to me. Taking Jesus' piecemeal, or treat it like a, a dinner where you start uh, with the, uh, the starter, then you go on the main course, then you have dessert. No, 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 no. That is not biblical. That is not biblical. This buying hell insurance for Jesus to be your Savior, then sometime down the road he may be the Lord of your life and he may not be, or buying this hell insurance and taking Jesus as your Savior and then live recklessly for the rest of your life. That doesn't make sense. An insurance salesman, when he sees you living recklessly, he's going to cancel the insurance policy, Right? In the next message, I'm going to show you how many times Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple. If you don't, cannot be my disciple, you cannot be my disciple. So much for the positive preaching of Jesus. In fact, a disciple is far more than learner. is far more than a learner. It's far more than just filling your head with some information, with some knowledge. A disciple is an imitator of the teacher and the master, and guess what? Listen to me, I know some of you will, s- will s- misunderstand this, but listen to me. These walk teachers in schools, these walk teachers, believe it or not, they understand this. they understand this that's why they take it upon themselves. Uh, to teach five-year-olds, children, uh, about their own messed up life because they know the kids are going to imitate them. Not just learning, they're going to imitate them. I'll move on. (laughs) I have a hunch that the reason so many people do not take seriously Jesus' commission of discipling others is because they feel inadequate or they feel ill-equipped. Or that that, that they do not comprehend uh, that making disciples is for Jesus, not for themselves. Or they feel uh, that they have to do it depending on their own knowledge, on their own abilities, on their own know-how, or in their own learnings, or their own steam. So, they never attempt to make disciples. In reality, please listen to me, in reality... If you are a parent, you are making disciples, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, you are a disciple maker. But when you understand that the very secret of making disciples is pointing to Jesus, not to ourselves, it takes the pressure off. Can I get an amen? Oh, to be sure... We have to be disciples ourselves first. I always confess things to you from the past that failures, that if it helps you, praise God. And I will never forget. In my second year in seminary, I wasn't one of the lecturers, but was a guest speaker in the chapel. And he was preaching on the Apostle Paul's words. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. I urge you to be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. That was a turning point in my life because I panicked. I can remember the feeling that came upon me. And not only I panicked, but I began to wonder for some time until a godly man helped me if the ministry is for me. How can a flawed guy like me can tell somebody, imitate me? It was, it was, a, it was a, a very, very testing time for me. But that's what really, because of my ignorance. ignorance on my part, has nothing to do with the text. Because now, 50 years later, I can say to someone, imitate me, I- <coughs> imitate my absolute fidelity to the Word of God. Imitate my unwavering commitment to seeking and obeying Jesus. Imitate my loving and adoring Jesus. Imitate my trusting completely in the words of Jesus, in the Word of God. Imitate my refusal to compromise the gospel. But you have to understand also that some of you have already heard me say this several times. And also quoting the Apostle Paul, that there is nothing good dwells in me in my flesh other than Jesus. And that is why in the Thessalonians and to the Thessalonians, Paul says something different. He says to the Corinthians, be imitators of me. Now remember, he spent a lot of time in Corinth. He spent a lot of time in Ephesus. He spent three weeks in Thessaloniki, Three weeks, and yet he could say to them, after three weeks, you became imitators of us. What, are well, they fast learners, <laughs> and the Corinthians are dull, <laughs> they're dumb? No. He said, you have become imitators of How? He, he gives us the answer. Thank God. I don't have to bring the answer. You welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy. And so, I don't want anyone, at the sound of my voice, anyone who would say, oh, I cannot disciple another person. Oh, no, no, I, I, I can't possibly impact the life of another. Or I, I, can't, I, cannot, I cannot do this. I, I, I can't pull my life into somebody else's. Now, to be sure, there are some young believers who need somebody to walk with them. And, and, and that's very understandable. Um, they need an older, not in chronological age, but older walking with Jesus, a person maturing Christ, to walk with them for a period of time, and then they become disciples of others. And that is why I often say you are either discipling someone or someone discipling you. Did you get that? Don't ever hesitate to express a need for someone to disciple you, if you feel in need of being discipled. For no one, no one, and I said that in the last message, no one in this place should walk alone. If you have been a disciple of Jesus and been walking with Jesus, then you need to make a conscious decision to disciple another person. If you have just begun to walk with Christ. There is Mike Slaughter and Bob Voyles have been working, and Jonathan Youssef, they've been working for a long time on making it possible. And I think the women and the women ministry can teach us a few things about that, but we're just learning in the men's ministry. No one should walk. And you will see that. It will be launched very, very soon. they will be delighted to pair you with someone on whether you want to disciple another person or being discipled in either case don't ever forget don't ever forget that whether you are discipling someone or being discipled by someone it is all done in the power of the one who said what all how many all. authority in heaven and earth has been given to me Without that, we did dead in the water. And that is why, please listen to me, that is why all biblical discipleship must be founded upon the Word of God. Listen, I've written 50 books, and I'm happy for you to read them. But do not let any of these books to substitute the Word of God. Can I get an amen? Everything has to be based upon the Word of God, has to be built on the Word of God. And remember this, remember this, From the very beginning, from the very beginning, and this is one thing I don't understand, I will when I go to heaven. God chose to communicate with, humans, with human beings with the voice of other humans. I, I don't understand it. I don't, I don't understand it. I really don't because I know how flawed I am and god uses flawed human beings yes he uses imperfect human beings yes yes he uses inadequate human beings but it is not the messenger but the message it is not the mouthpiece but the master what all authority has given to on earth and heaven given to me and therefore go that's the anchor This is the core. This is the heart of discipleship. You and I can only disciple others by the authority, not ours. We have none. We have none of Jesus. We are all serving under His authority. Beloved, listen to me. There is a distinct evidence that When Jesus said to the, those words that were called the Great Commission to the disciples, there were more than the 12. There is distinct evidence there, probably the 500 all were there at the time. When Jesus uttered, the resurrected Jesus uttered those word of the Great Commission. (laughs) Just think, just think about it, okay. Don't you think some of those people probably (laughs) were saying, what? What is he saying? Is he talking to me? He wants me to do what? Just think about it. Even the twelves, the knees were knocking. One denied him. The other one doubted him. All of them fled and forsook him in the garden. You talk about feeling inadequate. (laughs) But once he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That made all the difference. Made all the difference. Something else we all need to know. There is a historic reason as to why the resurrected Jesus, for the 40 years after the resurrection, before his ascension, that he spent time with the disciples emphasizing this point. Over and over and over, if this is in our time, we'd say, Jesus probably was like a broken record. Over and over. We have it only five times in the four Gospels in the book of Acts. I am personally convinced he must have said that to them 500 times. In the 40 days, every time he was with them, he emphasized the necessity for them to take the initiative and disciple others, not to sit on their blessed assurance and wait till people come to them. There is absolute ample evidence for that. You see it four times in the four Gospels, at the end of each one of the four Gospels, and then in the book of Acts, five times. Be my witnesses. As the Father sent me, I send you. Be my disciples. Make disciples. Why? Because when God chose Israel of old, He chose them for only one purpose. One purpose. As to be light to the nations. To be what? He chose them to disciple the nations. He chose them so that they may reveal the one true Yahweh to the pagan world. That is the reason for the choice of Israel. But what did Israel do? They became inward-looking. They were enamored with themselves. It must be something really special about us that made God call us and choose us. Uh, They began to think of themselves as cut above and... And they began to look down their noses of other people. God chose. Moses tried to disabuse them of this fallacy, but they wouldn't listen. Not only they became inward looking, they became naval gazers. They formed a bless me club. And at best, they forgot why. God had chosen them. They forgot that the gospel actually is in Genesis chapter 12 when God chose Abraham and he said, in you all the nations and the families of the earth shall be blessed. How? By coming to know the God of Abraham. That is the very reason why God called them. Then you hear the message of the prophets, prophet after prophet after prophet. I mean, it's ad nauseum if you read the Bible every year like I do, and you come to the point and said, boy, I mean, God just kept saying to them, kept saying to them, kept appealing to them, get out of your self-worship, get out of your self-centeredness, serve Yahweh, make Yahweh known. Time and time again, Israel refused until they found themselves in Babylon, in exile. One of the best examples was Jonah. Jonah actually is a microcosm of Israel's refusal to obey the commission of God to be light to the nations. He's a microcosm. And finally, God sent their seed of Abraham in a singular, their seed of Abraham. In fact, Galatians and Romans both, Paul spells it out. It's not seeds in the plural, it's seed. That is the Lord Jesus Christ, God sent His one and only Son, the descendant of Abraham, to disciple the nations and make Him known. And that is why all of Jesus' disciples are the spiritual descendants of Abraham, That's not my teaching. It's the Word of God. Everyone, whether you're in this sanctuary or watching around the world, it should be no doubt in anyone's mind that Christian believers in the West right now, look, I'm always realistic. I never bury my head in the sand. I don't bury my head anywhere, actually, but I'm always realistic. I know what's going on, and I'm, I'm up front with you. There can be no doubt in anybody's mind that we in the West, Christians, believers, disciples of Jesus in the West, are being out and out attacked by the, by the culture. Uh, many Christians in the West, therefore feeling they're under siege. Am I right? They're right now. Uh, they feel that the government is against Christian believers and biblical Believers, they feel that education system is working against them, and rightly so, they feel that the big corporations is persecuting faithful, Bible-believing Christians. We feel that the media is all working against us. These are facts. Nobody can deny those. I can show you example after example. Some of those are known to me, whether be here in this country or in England, in Scotland, in Canada, in Australia, in Europe, where men and women of God who will take a biblical stand, they lose their job, and even worse. These are facts. They're absolutely true. These realities are real. These incidents are are more than incidental. So the question is, what do we do? What do the disciple of Jesus do under these circumstances? God's people have a choice. And I cry to God <laughs> that everyone at the sound of my voice will make the right choice. One choice is to get bogged down with all these problems, real problems, and forget our high calling of discipling others. Others get into feeling victimized and they pull their head in I'm a victim, I'm a victim, I'm a victim. Some seeing certain politicians as their savior from this current painful situation. I heard someone the other day, a conservative talk show, I don't remember his name, just this week, he said, don't fall in love with politicians. They will always find a way to disappoint you. Listen to me. Some are getting and developing what I call a siege mentality. And they're living behind a prison bar of their own making. Sadly, this is the choice that many people are getting into now. But beloved, please, I plead with you, listen to me. That is not the choice that God, our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, is expecting of his faithful children. His faithful disciples. This is not the response that God expecting from His bride, the church. The one who said, all authority on heaven and on earth given to me, therefore go. Instead, many are knuckling under and forming as this. I call the siege mentality. Please listen to me. Based on Jesus' commission, God's people must fearlessly invade the enemy's territories. God's people must courageously disciple the nations, regardless of the circumstances. God's people who love God with all their hearts, must occupy. And that's what Jesus said, occupy till I come. That is to occupy every aspect of life until He comes. Listen to me. People who fear not Satan and his emissaries, people who fear not insult or degradation, people who fear not persecution, or intimidation. People who fear not losing their reputation or even life itself. People who must never forget that when Jesus gave that commission to the 500s, none of them were professional priests or rabbi. None of them were occupying prominent place in the synagogues, maybe with the exception of Nicodemus. None of them had high degrees in philosophy or science or religion, but they saw that his power is enough. They saw that his authority is enough. They saw that his presence is enough. They saw that his strength is enough. And it was said of them, they've turned the world upside down. And here we're hiding in our basements. Before I come to the end, I want to give you a quick history of how it worked in church. Okay? Now, I know some of you says, oh my goodness, you're going to give us a history lesson you know, looking at your watch. Or some of you already looked at your watch already. I saw you. But, and and he said, no, no, this is a very short one. Trust me. I know. I, I want to just make you breathe again. I want to give you a very short history of how, how this temptation, for 2,000 years, how this temptation of neglecting The commission, the command of Jesus of discipling others have worked throughout the history of the church. Uh, uh, Even in Jerusalem, where Jesus uttered those words, only a few years later, a few years in Jerusalem, they got so comfortable, and they don't want to move. God had to send them persecution to get them out of Jerusalem. And we see... Even knowing from history and and before our own eyes, when one generation gets comfortable and refuses to obey the Great Commission, the next generation gives it up altogether. Gives it up altogether. In Jerusalem, a generation after the ones who've heard with their own ears from the mouth of Jesus, they got comfortable and become inward-looking The Holy Spirit of God moved the center of discipleship to Antioch. And Antioch became the center of discipling of the nations in obedience to the commission of God. But when believers in Antioch got so comfortable and they ceased to make disciples, God moved the center to Alexandria. And it was in Alexandria for 200 years. Read the early Christian fathers from Alexandria school, and then 200 years later, that vision was lost in the Church of Alexandria, and God moved it to Rome. And there in Rome, immorality and sensuality has gripped the nation and the Vatican itself. There are some popes had so many children, they did not know how many. Immorality captured Rome. God moved the center of discipling to Germany, and when the Germans became under the siege of self-importance, God moved that center to England. And from there, the message of discipling of nations echoed throughout the world. But some of those saw that the English church has become so self-absorbed, self-protecting of their bureaucracy. They were spiritually dead. And they were more interested in the institution than making disciples some of those got on a boat called the Mayflower, and they came to the New World with the sole purpose of making Christ known to their natives. In the United States today has been the center of disciple making for over 100 years, 150 years. They saw the importance of the Great Commission. Beloved, listen to me. Now that American churches have become so self-focused and self-serving and self-seeking, God is moving on. It breaks my heart in two. Now, we stand at the precipice, at the edge of disobedience to the Great Commission altogether. Will we obey and be blessed? Will we obey and be blessed? Let me tell you this as I conclude. The greatest mistake, the greatest mistake anybody in this sanctuary or watching around the world would make is to say, oh, this message is just not for me. the biggest, biggest mistake you'll be making. And you say, this is for the ministers and this is for the missionaries, this is for the people. No, 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 for the pastors. No, 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 no. It's for every single believing disciple of Jesus. And this is my longing and our longing as a team, decades of the 20s. That from this church, we can lead the nation and the world into obeying the Great Commission and making disciples right here in this place. Sure, God has given us amazing platform. I am the most overwhelmed of anybody. Sometimes when I get introduced to people, say, you know, this is happening and this is in the way he's doing this. And this. Oh, really? We're doing all that? I mean, I'm the most overwhelmed guy. But that's not the issue. If we do not disciple here in this place, we will miss out on the blessing. <laughs> Beloved, there is no limit. There is no limit to what God can do with an obedient disciple, man or woman. How about the time I would have given you hundreds of examples from history, from history, unknown men and unknown women who impacted the world for Jesus in their obedience. So let's impact our world once all at a time. Can I get an amen? amen? Make it your decision as you come down to participate at the Lord's table. Say, Lord, I want to obey you. I want to obey your commission. I want to obey your command, and there are a whole lot of people in this place who can help you. Amen. Father, these can be just words, even though they might be packed with emotions, but they can be just words unless the Holy Spirit takes them and penetrates every heart, every soul, every mind of everyone who is at the sound of my voice. And so, Father, with utter dependence on You, we bow before You. Even as we remember in few moments what it cost You to obey the Father on the cross. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that You... Your Holy Spirit, begin to penetrate, convict, and bring us all into full obedience. For we pray this in the name of the one who said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, even Jesus. Amen.